This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern, and you can check out the show at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. That's www.onlyinmiamishow.com. We've got a great new blog post up there today by J.J. Colagrande, and it's about uh, Jose De Diego uh, Middle School in Wynwood and the terribly ironic situation that education funding cuts have left Wynwood's school bereft of not only its music program, but any program in the arts. And it sits within the country's largest collection of outdoor street art. So check that out at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. We're live in studio with Peter Ehrlich and retired judge David Young. And we've got Toulouse Arunapa. He is the Florida Bloomberg reporter about politics. He's on the line and we're waiting for George Sheldon to hopefully call in as scheduled. Toulouse, thank you for calling in tonight. Sure. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. So are you in D.C. or in Tallahassee tonight? I am actually in, in D.C. I've been in D.C. for a couple of weeks, uh, both covering uh, some federal stuff, but also keeping a close eye on the governor's race down in Florida. So give me your, your initial take on the governor's race, because you've probably got a bigger picture perspective uh, than most folks were in our corner of the state, but you've been around the state. You've been in Tallahassee and D.C. lately. So uh, what's your outsider's perspective? Yeah, this is a very high-stakes race. You can tell by the number of ads that you're probably seeing on your television screen, by the amount of money that's being spent on the race. Um, everyone sort of wants in, in on this race, and there's, uh, there's, it's so close that the Democrats have a chance to actually win for the first time in 20 years. And they can smell uh, a shot at, at victory, and they're, they're working really hard to try to get voters out. Um, but the Republicans have a, a lot of money, and they do have the, the financial advantage, and they do have the infrastructure, having been in power for, um, for two decades. Uh, there's a struggle that they're, they're fearing that this could be the time when they, uh, they lose their grip on that power. Um, it's clearly going to be a close race. That's what we were used to in Florida. Um, but right now, the polling really shows it neck and neck. I mean, every poll almost shows it uh, basically a tie, and, and just like it was in 2010, it com could come down to a few thousand votes. Um, so both candidates and both campaigns are really uh, charging towards the finish line. So what's the outside perspective? What's the D.C. perspective that you're hearing on Fangate? Is it as important as the media here has made it out to be? Is it less important? Is it even more important for the perception of the state outside of Florida? Yeah, that's a good question. I think there are a lot of people who weren't thinking about the Florida governor's race or who weren't even thinking about Florida, and they have all heard about the fan gate. And, and it just goes to be one more example of, uh, of Florida being seen as this uh, sort of bizarre state where uh, out-of-the-ordinary things happen. Um, so people up here are talking about it. People around the country are talking about it. It showed up on all the late-night TV shows. Um, so uh, it, it is something that uh, got a lot of more people interested in the governor's race. And, and you know, the, the race is already in interesting because you have uh, on one side a former Republican who turned into an independent who be became a Democrat running against a, uh, a current Republican who, uh, who has had a number of gaffes and has sort of shown up on late night TV as the butt of a few jokes. So it's, uh, it's the fan gate has just sort of gotten more eyeballs onto the race and more people are interested in, in finding out how it's going to all play out. Well, finally, I'd like, <clears throat> I'd like your take. 
Was there a winner from Fangate? Certainly you're saying that Florida as a state was kind of a loser uh, when our governor pointed out that there was a fan in the dais and this was the big issue that he came to debate. But is there a winner in the Fangate incident? Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to tell. I mean, in terms of the, the PR side of it, uh, Governor Scott definitely did not come out looking so great, uh, sort of being seen as kind of a... Uh, in a negative light, uh, uh, being a little bit, um, I guess you could say, being seen as, as, as kind of petty by not coming out over the fan gate issue. Um, but it, I was going to say petulant, but that's my opinion. <laughs> right, I was looking for the right word. But the polling has not necessarily shown a big bump yet for uh, for Charlie Crist. It's such a close race, and so many people already have their minds made up having seen uh probably hundreds of ads by now over the last few months that there's such a small margin to change voters' minds. Um, so I can't necessarily say that Chris came out getting uh, getting any advantage of it, from it, but it definitely did not help Scott to be seen in that light and, and to be seen sort of uh, as a, the butt of a few jokes on late-night TV. Let's, let's switch gears and discuss a race that's been, I wouldn't say flying under the radar, but it's certainly not discussed as daily as the governor's race, and it's the race for attorney general uh, between Pam Biondi and, uh, and of course, George Sheldon, who is a little overdue for his call. His campaign did confirm that it's on his schedule, and hopefully he'll call in in just a few minutes. But can you give us a really short summary of each candidate's strengths and weaknesses? And then I'm going to bring in our studio guests to discuss the attorney general's race. Definitely. Uh, it's, a, it's an in- interesting race. It's really the only other race in, when you look at the four cabinet uh, positions in Florida, the governor, the, the chief financial officer, and the, the agriculture commissioner. Uh, those, the attorney general race is the only other one besides the governor where you have sort of a competitive race. Um, George Sheldon is trying to mount a campaign against Pam Bondi, who has uh, um, I had some controversial times as the attorney general. Um, she that's that's an understatement. <laughs> yes, if you if you watched the, the debate uh, between the governor the gubernatorial candidates last week, you probably saw the the moment where uh, Charlie Crist accused uh, Governor Scott of delaying a, a an ex, an execution for uh, Pam Bondi's fundraiser. Um, so that's one of the many issues that have uh, sort of gotten her in the national spotlight. Um, she also has come out uh, and fought against gay marriage in the state, um, and she's also fought against the uh, mer- medical marijuana amendment. Um, and she's and know, lost. She she opposed it on technical grounds and uh, pressed the lawsuit, and uh, the the ballot amendment issues remained. Of course, the yes on two movement. Yes, yeah, <clears throat> that's very true. She also fought against Obamacare. So she has uh, staked out a, a ground as a, as a political fighter and, uh, and sort of as a champion of some of these conservative causes. She, she appears on Fox News very regularly. Um, George Sheldon is sort of trying to use a lot of that against her, saying that she's out of sync with the state, that she's too far to the right, um, and that she has been representing more of a uh, conservative ideology and not necessarily the ideology of, of Florida. Um, the polling so far does indicate that Bondi, who has much more money and much more name recognition, uh, is leading and uh, has had a higher profile in, in terms of voter uh, recognition. Um, 
but it remains to be seen sort of how things will play out out on election day, especially with the top of the ticket drawing so much attention. So let's hone in on one of the bigger issues, and I'd like to get Judge Young's thoughts first. Um, There's been a lot of court rulings about marriage equality. Uh, All of them have been in favor of marriage equality. None of them have upheld uh, constitutional amendments uh, restricting marriage to being between a man and a woman. Uh, How does this issue define our attorney general's race? It defines the attorney general as being a political whore. And that's how it defines her and what and what she has done. Um, It is clear to me that she is running for governor. And she is will do anything to solidify her base as the darling of the Fox News slash entertainment group. And the fact that every attorney general, even those who have come out publicly at one point to be against uh, marriage equality, once the Supreme Court came out with the ruling, this is we'd have we have no grounds to attack it. So if you're intellectually honest, which Miss Bondi is certainly is not, you would say, okay, I may be personally against marriage equality, but the Supreme Court has has spoken, and I'm going to uh, withhold any type of defense to the, the the defendants in these cases and say marriage equality will happen in Florida. You know, it's it's very interesting when you hear the argument by Rick Scott and others that they have to protect the voters, what the voters said. Well, he didn't protect the voters with the speed rail system. And I was wondering if the voters said that African-Americans have to ride in the back of the bus, if women did not have the right to vote, if all those things would have passed, would the current administration say, no, got to uphold the rights of the voters and we don't care if the laws are discriminatory, we're going to uphold them. Of course they would not. And it's the same thing. We live in America. We don't have a second-class citizenry in this country. But what Bondi and Rick Scott have done time and time again have created that second class for those people who are LGBT. And it's absolutely wrong. And she made a – what she's done to that office is just absolutely criminal. And it's it's disgusting. So, Toulouse, you still with us there, buddy? Yes. All righty. This, to me, is a prime example of the unintended consequences – of the Citizens United decision, which allows money to pour into electoral uh, campaigns, basically unfettered. Uh, What I read recently said that Biondi had $5.5 million behind her to run for attorney general. Can you comment on money in this particular election and how it's probably going to affect the outcome? Because there is a disparity. Yeah, Florida is a huge state, and it's an expensive state to run in. Uh, Bondi has the clear advantage when it comes to fundraising, as uh, in most cases, Republicans uh, in, in Florida in competitive races usually have the uh, the advantage. Um, and we have seen from the governor's race and the attorney general's race, in a number of races, we've seen the amount of political spending increase significantly since the Citizens United ruling. It's something that's happening uh, nationwide. And it's really changing uh, the tenor of a lot of races. It's, it's changing the, the potential outcome uh, when one candidate has a, an advantage and has a, an easier time um, getting their message out uh, based on, on funding that comes from you know, various groups and various interest groups. Um, it, it makes a difference in the outcome. We've seen it, seen it in the polling, and we've seen it in uh, some of the races since <coughs> United. Um, and there's no doubt that uh, 
if the money disparity is going to uh, make a difference in this race as well. Well, and, and not only in this race. This is the first time in that I know of in a local judicial race where Citizens United came into being because you had all these special interest groups funding one one candidate over the other. I mean, you know, in, in, in the judicial races, you're limited to $1,000, and you are also have to state where the money is coming from. Well, okay. in Citizens United, you don't have to. Anybody can contribute thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars. Is and, there a particular race you're referring to? Yeah, uh, yeah there are a couple of county court and circuit court races where that— In fact, uh, Nuria Sains versus— uh, uh, Judge Farrar, who happened, Judge Elect Farrar, who happened to win that race. I mean, you had the PIP lawyers against United Auto, and United wow. and United Auto put in hundreds of thousands of dollars to get rid of Judge Sains, wow. and they were successful in doing so. So, so my my big concern is that by removing these measures, uh, by removing the caps on spending, it's politicized the office of prosecutor. How do you guys think that impacts justice in our state if the prosecutor is beholden to all these private interests? Because the attorney general is the lead prosecutor in our state. Well, I think if you had an attorney general with any type of integrity, like George Sheldon has integrity, it would not we would not be discussing this issue. But because the current attorney general has made a political machine out of her office. Uh, McCollum never did it as a Republican. Charlie Chris never did it. Certainly Bob Butterworth never did it. Earl Faircloth never did it. And Bob Shevin never did it. They were career prosecutors. They're, they were seeking justice for victims of crime. They were seeking justice for all Floridians, not just the Democratic base or the Republican base, but for everybody. This woman who's been in the attorney general's office, she canceled an execution because of a political fundraiser. And then she says, oh, gee, I am so sorry. Whoops. Really, Pammy? Really? You canceled an execution because of a political fundraiser? That one fact in and of itself to disqualify her from ever holding elective office. You know, I wish she could cancel more of these executions because <laughs> frankly I, I don't think that they're being uh, fairly adjudicated and the chances of being adjudicated uh, for the death penalty rise depending on your race that's another subject for another day <laughs> that it is that it is and i'll tell you what we're going to take a really short break and we're going to be right back but let me give out the call-in number 305-541-2350 that's 305-541-2350 we're taking your calls your comments your questions your concerns this is the only in miami show
This is the only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show, podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. We have a listener call. Listener, your name and city. Speak up. Name and city, listener. Yeah, hi. My name is Transparency for you is Transparency for me. Is that okay tonight? That's a great name. (laughs) What city are you Um, calling from? I'm calling from the great Miami, Florida, particularly in regards to Miami-Dade County government. Oh, right. What's your question, comment, or concern? Well, as someone that quite often on a daily basis observes the participation level of the community after voting is done, and recognizing that a majority does not always know the rules of engagements which change. How do you propose we hold certain uh, elected officials and those who have been around for a while more accountable for the changes that we see in the Home Rule Charter and citizen participation rules? I see guys go to jail for being upset. I see people having to say a prayer and bow their heads, but I see two minutes giving on five or six articles or articles that are never noticed or complaints that go unresolved. And so everyone always promotes voting, but no one talks about what if we vote again for someone who changes course or someone who does not allow the people to represent themselves. Okay, that- so so let's shorten the question to it's the, the, the effect of the Home Rule Charter on public comment. Is that... And- and accountability. And accountability. Yes. Uh, uh, Peter or Judge Young, do you guys have some comment? Go right ahead. Step up um, to the mic. Th- Don't be shy. <laughs> <laughs> this is Peter. I think the public should get an, get an opportunity, a fair opportunity, to speak on, on any item in front of elected officials uh, that they're they're contemplating uh, a, a vote. Judge um, Young? I'll, I'll make it quick. I know who the caller is. I know that she's an incredible... Uh, citizen activist, and I share her frustration when those in elective office refuse to listen because I think they know more than everybody else. And um, I think that needs to be changed, and I think, Grant, that that could be a topic for a show uh, at another time after the elections, and I think it's an important subject to have, and I think that the caller maybe should be your guest so she can talk about her experiences and being, and not only in the county commission, city commission, but in the courts as well. I agree. And and frankly, my, my two cents to add is very simply that modern scheduling and calendaring allows for mass transmission of information over the Internet. Mm-hmm. And our our local governments do not use this. They do not take advantage of it. And while the old mm-hmm. political process pre-Internet pretty much worked the way it worked for that reason, now that we have the Internet, I believe strongly that agendas should be better communicated, that time should be set, that speaking slots should be allowed to apply for online, and then, of course, expire if they're unused. And, caller, thank you very much for your call. Thank you. I'm glad you're not a two-minute man there, Mr. Young. 
<laughs> I'm not going to touch that. We're on, again, terrestrial radio. If I was on Sirius, I could really have a comment for you, Renita, but I'm not going to do it. Don't worry. You can make I don't, don't want to. I don't want to yank his, get his license yanked. You, I really you don't. You can make that comment. Nobody likes a two-minute man, and you're quite elongated. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> have a good night, gentlemen. Big kisses. Caller, Thanks. thanks for calling, and we're taking anytime, your calls. Anytime. 305-541-2350. Toulouse, you still on the line with us there, buddy? <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. I love fest we're having here at... Uh, <laughs> Big love fest. So let's talk about the very, very contentious District 26 race. I want to get the outside perspective, the big picture perspective to lose. You've heard from both candidates, I'm sure, via either news reports, via the candidates themselves, or their commercials. Who do you believe? Uh, there's a lot of accusations flying in both directions. How do we as voters make sense of the race between Carlos Curbelo, the, the challenger, and Joe Garcia, the Democratic incumbent? Yeah, that's this is a a race that you know, depending on your perspective, could be seen as frustrating or really entertaining, um, based on you know what's happened in this district over the last few years with uh, the, the, the candidate, the incumbent in 2012 being uh, being booted out, and then all of the accusations over um, you know a straw candidate and whatnot. Um, but now there are more accusations flying at the new incumbent, um, and it, it looks like there are accusations that the same thing may have happened. It's hard to tell uh, sort of, you know, who's well, telling the truth. Well, we what we do know is that there was a straw candidate in the Democratic primary named Justin uh, Lamar Sternad right. in 2012, and he was convicted of federal electioneering crimes for failing to report the source and size of his donations. And there was a federal conviction of Annie Allegro, a Republican uh, uh, political operative who was apparently involved with the prior congressman, David Rivera, who did run in this race but lost in the Republican primary. That is what we do know. So what about all the rest of, I mean, for example, we've seen commercials with Mr. Cabello saying that Social Security is a Ponzi scheme, and he's going to cut it down to ten years. What do you think? What do you make of all this mess? Because yeah, the 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 attack ads that we're seeing in the governor's race are, uh, are just a uh, an, another example of the idea that attack ads actually work. So we're seeing that also in District Twenty Six. Um, that that video clip could be very damaging to Mr. Corbello. Uh, there are a lot of seniors in, in Miami Dade County, a lot of people who depend on uh, on on the safety net for uh, for the elderly. Um, but Mr. Corbello has also been uh, attacking on his own, saying that Joe Garcia and his campaign uh, staffers and campaign apparatus have uh, have been involved in some shenanigans as well. Um, it'll be hard to see which which sticks, but it is a nasty race, and it is um, expected to be one uh, that's going to be a uh, political toss-up, one of the few close races in, uh, in the congressional map this year. As you know, that there's so much... Uh, gerrymandering in our political map that there are very few competitive races but miami uh does have a race where every vote will count and it could come down to the, to the last minute now speaking about gerrymandering there's a big issue going on upstate that's probably not getting a lot of play down here and it's that the gerrymandered districts in northeast florida and jacksonville area uh north of orlando they're actually being redrawn almost during the election has this been settled by the court or is are, are we looking at potentially another special election for even multiple districts it it has been settled just for this election it, there was a time when we were wondering whether or not they were going to re require the uh the 
the unconstitutional maps to be redrawn for 2014, but the uh, the judge basically said that it would cause too much commotion. The Republicans uh, successfully argued that that was the case, and they were allowed to. They will be allowed to use that unconstitutional map for one more cycle. By 2016, we're going to have a new map in that northeast Florida area. Um, you know, Democrats basically argued that it didn't make sense since we knew that the, the map is unconstitutional to uh, allow it to remain in place for another election. But it was so close to the deadline; ballots had already gone off overseas. It would have been chaos to redraw so many districts that the, the judge gave in and said. Um, that we are going to keep these uh, this, the current map for 2014 and then get in the business of redrawing it for 2016. So who actually did the gerrymandering? Who drew up this unconstitutional map? Yeah, the, the, the Republican Party has been in charge of the legislature uh, for a while, especially in 2012 when, when the, uh, the maps were being redrawn. There was a, uh, a ballot amendment that said that you could not draw a map to uh, favor any political party or any incumbents. Um, that the, the map that was eventually drawn was successfully challenged, and, and, and uh, some voter groups basically proved that it was the case that Republican um, operatives were involved in drawing that map. And the map, the way it, it was drawn, with uh, some gerrymandered districts that didn't really make sense to the naked eye, um, were drawn in ways to pack Democrats in certain districts to make more Republican districts around them and to make uh, make the Republicans be able to uh, keep a uh, stronger um, majority in Congress. So, well, uh, with, with all of the gerrymandering going on, with a lot of the attacks on the voter rolls by the Republican Party, do you think that Florida is in danger of becoming newly covered under the Voting Rights Act? Well, uh, the, the Voting Rights Act has been sort of withered away at over the last uh, last year, with some supreme some pre Supreme Court rulings, but when you look at what has happened in Florida with the 2012 line, you know the, the lines on election day, um, the changes to uh, early voting, the restrictions on on voting lo- locations, some of that has been reversed. But when you look at the, just the, the the track record of Florida, it's it's fair to say that nationally, Florida has a pretty poor track record in the nation's eye when it comes to voting, when it comes to uh, protecting uh, the right to vote. Um, and, you know, if, uh, you know, Attorney General Holder and President Obama had their way, Florida probably would be uh, under the Voting Rights Act as an entire state um, and, and, and required to do preclearance. But with the Supreme Court's ruling, um, that preclearance uh, issue has been kind of taken out of the out of the game. Well, no, and, it's, it's not out of the game. It just it took away the old map. But it said that they could still require preclearance, and they, in fact, did extend preclearance to, I believe, Texas, right? It was, it was reinstituted. <clears throat> yeah, it was reinstituted in Texas in response to a, uh, a law that actually is going to impact this election and then be reviewed afterwards as well. You know, this is David Young. You know, what's very interesting is that we have an attorney general who is quick to intercede in the marriage equality case, but the voters of our state— passed a constitutional amendment also that said we're not going to put up a gerrymandering anymore. We want the lines to be drawn con- contiguously to to enhance, to encompass certain areas, not from point A to point Z. And is she involved in that fight? Not at all. You don't hear Bondi saying, no, the people voted this way, so we need to do it. Uh-uh, she acquiesced. I-, I-, I am not sure that after this election is over, if the Democrats 
would file a lawsuit in federal court based upon the Florida Constitution, whether or not the federal court may say may hold this election for those gerrymandered districts unconstitutional and strip them of their uh, positions of members of Congress and order a special election for a district to be uh, drawn up, which is consistent to the Florida Constitution. That could happen, Grant. I don't know if it will, but I mean it could happen. But again, it's the hypocrisy from Rick Scott and Pam Bondi, which is once again overwhelming, but it just buttresses their own personal agendas. Well, there's something else going on in the attorney general's race that we've been discussing, and it's been flying under the radar, strangely, and it has to do with the cash disparity. The The Republicans in the late 1990s formed the Republican Attorney General's Association when they realized that less than roughly a dozen state attorney generals were Republican, the rest were Democrat. The Republicans uh, stayed there by themselves for a couple of years, then the Democrats filed their own. It's called DAGA, the Democratic Attorney General's Association. But oddly, they have an agreement between each other that they will not, or they will, I'm sorry, they will only support incumbents and they will not support challengers. And other, uh, is this strange or what? But I, this is what I read in, uh, I believe it was in Bloomberg. Toulouse, have you heard anything about this? Uh, I did see a, a great story. Uh, I think it was in the Herald, actually. Over the weekend. Oh, yeah, then the I definitely Herald believe it. The Times by Michael <laughs> Vin, Vin Sickler. Uh, it, it kind of laid out all that uh, Pimbani has been doing through uh, RAGA, the Republican Attorney General's Association. Um, she has gone on to, to uh, kind of get involved in a lot of issues that aren't necessarily on their face. They don't seem to be Florida issues. Um, there are issues happening outside the state, and uh, Bondi has kind of enmeshed herself in, in those issues. Um, and as you mentioned, it's a it's an organization that, that sort of has some interesting political um, uh, infrastructure and rules about um, you know who they support, who they don't support, um, what issues they get into, and what issues they don't get into. And uh, Bondi has, uh, according to this article, has, has operated sort of lockstep with this organization, even though it seems that uh, their interests aren't necessarily uh, Florida-based interests. And that's okay. because she wants to run for governor. She is the most political, and you talk about transparent. I think she, I think Pam Bondi is one of the most transparent attorney generals we ever had. She is totally political, and that's what her agenda is. She couldn't give a darn about anybody but Pam Bondi, and you know she caters to her political right wing Tea Party Koch brothers loving base. And, and you know, and if the voters want to put this woman back into office, God bless them. But I think they have an incredible alternative in George Sheldon, who is not only a competent lawyer, but he was a competent administrator, and he truly believes in the rule of law, which Miss Bondi doesn't have the first clue about the rule of law or justice. And that's why George Sheldon needs to get your vote and needs to get elected. And let me just say, the article, it's called entitled, A.G. Pam Biondi Joins Court Fights in Faraway Places as Part of Re Republican Attorneys General Association. It was published in the Tampa Bay Times, and we just tweeted it, at Only in Miami Show. So if you're on Twitter, you can check out the article at Only in Miami Show. And we're going to take a really short break here, and we'll be right back. But let me give out the call-in number, 305-541-2350. That's 305-541-2350. This is the Only in Miami Show.
This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. And you are listening to Do You Party by Afrobeta. They played at Tobacco Road's last call this past weekend, and they're part of our permanent show uh, musical selections. You can check them out at soundcloud.com slash afrobeta or, of course, at www.afrobeta.com. We love to have them on the program. They're dear friends, and they make some pretty cool music. Right, guys? Grant, I got a question. Did any does anyone make a better hamburger than Tobacco Road? Anywhere in Miami? Uh, no. You got to try the Turducken Burger <laughs> over at, uh, at at what's it called at Mignonette, okay. uh, Danny Surfer's new place. It's pretty pretty outrageously a tur- good. A Turducken Burger. I had a Turducken for Thanksgiving when I went with Scott's family in Mississippi. Okay, that was an experience I want to forget. Thank you very <laughs> really? much. Really? Well, yes. the burger itself is pretty awesome. And let me just uh, for our listeners, you can call in at three zero five five four one two three five zero. And let me introduce who we've got with us. Toulouse, you still on the phone there with us, buddy? Yes, sir. I'm we've got here. Toulouse, a run. He is the Florida Bloomberg uh, reporter for politics. Peter Ehrlich of Scenic Miami. Peter. Thank you very much. Thanks, Grant. And you also heard Judge David Young, retired Judge Young. Thank Toulouse, you. Toulouse, have you ever had Turducken before? I never have, but uh, <laughs> this Thanksgiving, it's on the list. Definitely. It's Don't a bucket say list. I didn't item. warn you. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, it's deboned. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. Thank you very much. <laughs> So we we posted a story on my Twitter account, at Grant Stern, and it's about the early voting. Right now, Mark Caputo from the Miami Herald has reported that 1.8 million Floridians have voted early's. Dems, quote, win early voting, continue to eat into GOP ballot lead. So there's there's a lot going on before Election Day, and I just want to remind everybody Election Day is November 4th. It is the first Tuesday of November, as always. So, guys, let's uh, let's get a little bit more local here. Let's talk about something that was actually announced on the—and the, I want to talk to, to Lou specifically. It was announced on this station earlier today, which is that Miami-Dade Mayor Carlos Jimenez is hinting that he will go nonpartisan. Toulouse, do you think this is a trend that may start expanding uh, over time where we see Republicans going independent or uh, Republicans, Republicans traveling through— Charlie Crist's path from uh, Republican to independent to Democrat because of the demands of the extreme wing of the Republican Party? I have. I, I did listen to, uh, to to some of that reporting earlier uh, about uh, Carlos Jimenez. It's, it's interesting um, because he has, uh, he has been one of the Republicans' top stars in terms of Miami-Dade County. He's the, count, the, the, the mayor of the largest county. A Republican. Most of the uh, urban mayors in Florida are Democrats. So uh, Jimenez and it was was one of the uh, one of the highly ranked Republicans in South Florida. So it is interesting that he's considering leaving the party. 
we have seen some other high-profile defect defections. We saw Anna, Anna Rivas Logan leave the uh, Republican Party, a former state representative. Um, and statewide, we are seeing a growth in uh, in the independent and no political affiliation group. We're seeing fewer people sign up to be Republicans and Democrats and more people wanting to sign up as third party or non no political affiliation. And I think that has to do with um, kind of a disenchantment with, uh, with actually with both parties. Uh, as you mentioned, on the Republican side, there's a bit of uh, disenchantment with uh, some of the extreme policies that have been embraced, the Tea Party. Um, on the Democrat side, I think in Florida at least, uh, the, the lack of power statewide has uh, driven some people away. You know, in Tallahassee, the Democrats don't have very much power to, to do much. Um, so being independent makes sort of makes both parties kind of want to have to woo you. It makes you more uh, more of a uh, a target and 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 makes makes you um, kind of become more uh, wanted by uh, by politicians in both parties and, and not beholden to either party and not taken for granted. Okay, so so maybe becoming independent elevates the discourse that these candidates have, but then. Don't they face other difficulties once they're independent when it comes to fundraising and organization? Definitely, that is a, a big, a big, big point. And and once you leave a party, as, as we see with uh, with Governor Christ, you are the subject of a lot of hate and a lot of uh, anger from your former party. It's sort of like a uh, a jilted lover. Um, so you become <laughs> that much of a target against you know you actually become a source of fundraising against you. Um, your, your former party is, is is that much more motivated to uh, strike you down and make sure you don't you don't succeed. So, so so you're saying that these independents are experiencing the LeBron James effect. It raises <laughs> their profile, but it also raises the the negative or the negative Q score. Like, hey, everybody knows this guy now as that guy who switched. Exactly, and, um, and specifically on the Republican side, uh, they're fighting against this uh, this narrative that they are. Um, have become too extreme, gone too far to the right. Charlie Chris wrote it in this book, and they want to stamp out that narrative. They don't want anyone who is uh, promoting that narrative or talking about that narrative to be successful. They want to, uh, because if that narrative gets out and if that becomes a dominant narrative of Republicans, then they won't be able to win um, nationwide. They won't be able to win the presidency again. Um, and that's a real fearful uh, fact for them that they're they're up against. So... Um, for people who are leaving the party and kind of uh, affirming that stance that maybe Republicans have become too extreme, they are definitely becoming targets, uh, and it's, it's important for Republicans to try to defeat them and keep them from uh, from getting that that bully pulpit. And, and you know, and also when you look at the stats in here, Miami-Dade County, you notice that there is a big upsurge in independents from the younger people who whose parent who's excuse me specifically who are hispanic because they don't want to go against their parents and register as a democrat because they feel that it would just hurt them and you know dinner conversation could be kind of difficult so by registering independent they get their independence but yet they can still say you know we don't subscribe to the right wing hyperbole of the republican party we are our own per people and social issues do matter and i think if we get you know next generation you'll see even more not independent, but more people going to the Democratic Party if the Republicans continue on the course of exclusion instead of inclusion. Well, I, I want to pose this question to the gentleman in the room briefly because we do have a caller on, on the line, and I believe it's Ross Hancock. He is an independent running for the state of Florida's House of Representatives. Uh, but briefly, 
Should it matter, Peter, should it matter whether somebody is independent or a member of one particular party? Um, I don't think it should matter to the voters. The voters should vote for whichever candidate they think will do the best job for them. Um, Unfortunately, money matters, and sometimes it's easier to raise money if you have the support of the Republican or the Democratic Party. But the voters should vote for whichever candidate is going to do the best best job representing them. So with that said, I'd like to bring Ross Hancock on the, the line. He's he's on the phone right now. Ross? Hi, Grant. Thanks for calling into the program tonight. It's my pleasure. So we were chatting uh, on a uh, actually on Al Sunshine's Facebook profile, mm-hmm. and you had mentioned that the Miami Herald, did, did they interview you for the, the – did they interview you as a, as a candidate? Well, they, you know, they did two years ago when I okay. ran as a Democrat, and um, uh, it, w- it was a great, really great experience. They send you a questionnaire, and you go in and you meet with a, you know, very the editorial board, impressive right. editorial board. You know, people that, you know, the the guy that does the, you know, political cartoons, and other, it's 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 really a, it's really a interesting process. Now, but, what district uh, are you but, running but in? in? And in this what, in this cycle, I'm running as a as an independent. And in what district are you running? And what cities does this affect? Uh, district 114, uh, which is uh, basically West Miami, Coral Gables, South Miami, Pinecrest, uh, Cutler Bay. Okay, and and your opponents in that race are Daisy J. Baez and Eric Fresen, correct? Yeah, that's right. That's correct. So this time around, because you weren't affiliated with a party, the Herald didn't even want to hear your opinion in front of their board. Yeah, you know, I called him because I said, well, you know, it's getting late September and, you know, people are going to start voting soon. And I, you know, you, they send you a questionnaire usually and you make an appointment. And um, so I called the editorial board, uh, you know, coordinator, secretary. And uh, she said, no, uh, you're an inter- let me explain to you why you're, you're a non, you know, non-political party candidate. And we don't, we're very, bu- you know, we're very busy. We're and there's so many candidates, you know, this year, and the Herald has limited resources, and and we're not inter- we're not interviewing, screening, questionnaires, nothing, for um, for any uh, NPA candidates. And that so that surprised me because when I decided to be NPA, I didn't realize that that would be one of the consequences uh, that you would just be, you know, completely relegated to you know non-existence by the by the press. Well, I think that everybody has seen the protests that Adrian Wiley has put on. He's well, he's, no. been, he's the libertarian candidate for governor, and he was excluded from all of the gubernatorial debates. And I want to well, go around the that's room. A, that's a different situation, though, Grant, in a way, because, of course, you have candidates that really we know they aren't—we know they're not going to win. They're going to be—they're fringe candidates or, or whatever, and everybody—they all want to be included. Uh, but I'm a candidate. I got 48.84 percent. You know, I I almost won two years ago. So I'm not a kind of third party fringe, you know, wacko candidate. Uh, you know, I'm really, you know, a, a legitimate candidate. Um, okay. But they just uh, have a policy, and, and people should know that if they're considering running as NPA, that you know, you you will you will not get, um, you will not get uh, considered. Toulouse, you still with us on the line there? Uh-huh. So uh, have you seen this in any other race where independents are simply frozen out? Because I know that in the national perspective, there's actually an independent in Kansas running for Senate who was favored 
to the point where the Democrats uh, removed their candidate from the race. But have you seen this kind of freeze out in any other races of independent uh, candidates? Yeah, and I would I would say that independents, uh, even though in some cases they're not uh, being included, they're being freezed out. Um, they are they are making an impact on the final the final outcome uh, in a number of races, uh, a number of governors' races across the country, and the Senate race you mentioned, and another Senate race. Uh, independents are either uh, potential winners or spoilers for uh, for either candidate. I think we're starting to see uh, the same trend nationwide that we're seeing in Florida is that more people are uh, are uh, registering as independents and not Democrats and Republicans. And I think that, that portends to a future where independents are taken more seriously and, and, and included more often. Um, if we do get into a place where, you know, independents and, and non-party affiliate voters make up a larger percentage of the total electorate, maybe 20 percent, um, that's a, a, an amount that you, you you have to take seriously, and you have to start including uh, voices from you know the libertarian side and the, the third party side. And I think it's uh, just a matter of time before we, we do see uh, editorial boards and debate organizers start to take uh, independent candidates more seriously. But um, it's not happening yet. Okay, fair enough. And now, Toulouse, I want to thank you for coming on the program. You've been a wonderful guest. And uh, we're going to spend the next uh, eight, nine minutes that we have left taking some calls and discussing some local issues. But I really appreciate having you on the show tonight. Awesome. Thanks so much, Grant. I appreciate that. And where can our audience find you on Twitter and on uh, online? Yes, you can find me uh, on Twitter. Uh, the handle is Toluso. That's T-O-L-U-S-E-O. All righty. And uh, any particular place on the Bloomberg website? Uh, you can go to Bloomberg and just search for my name. Uh, you can even search for uh, Florida, Florida governors, uh, Florida politics, and uh, usually one of my articles will come up. All righty. Toulouse, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Take care. You have a great night. So Bye. let's turn to some local issues here. There's one charter amendment, a Dade County charter amendment, that we did not discuss. And, Ross, it's, it's not inside of your district but it is immediately to the west of your district, and it is Charter Amendment exempting Article 7, uh, Florida International University's expansion onto Youth Fair site. Now, I know there's a lot of debate about this, and I, I, bef before we get to Ross on the phone, I'd like to ask Peter Ehrlich for his opinion on this fairly nauseous-sounding uh, amendment, but there's actually some pretty big ramifications. Uh, thank you very much, Grant. Yeah, just a quick summary. Uh, FIU is asking the voters to make a charter change to the Miami-Dade County Charter allowing um, the youth fair site, which is a little over 60 acres, to the zoning to be changed from the current zoning, which is park and recreation, uh, to another zoning classification that would ultimately make it easier for FIU to take over the youth fair site. The important points are that the youth fair, I think, has over 60 years left on a lease. It's, it's an extremely favorable lease to Youth Fair. And I attended the Miami-Dade County Commission meeting when the experts said that the cost to buy out the lease and to re or to relocate on it, terms And both must be done according to the lease, buy out and relocate, correct? Uh, yes, and, well, it's subject to the, the Youth Fair. If, the, if they're to be relocated, the cost would be somewhere between $220 million and $300 million. That's finding them a site, maybe building ramps off a highway, 
site that's large and suitable to the youth fair. A massive cost. Miami-Dade County uh, commissioners claimed they did not have the money to pay for that relocation. FIU said they did not have the money to pay that relocation. Nonetheless, this item is on the agenda. Um, I voted no. I'd like to see the, the parkland remain zoned parks and recreation. It's a complicated issue. Uh, Judge Young, do you have an opinion on this issue? I, I really don't. Um, I voted yes because I thought it would, anytime you want to increase FIU, which is really a gem, one of our gems in our community, they do such great work. I know um, we've had many fine people come out of that university, and when I heard the president of FIU talked, I believe what he had to say, and I voted yes. But I understand Mr. Ehrlich's concern, and I, I respect that. And I'm, I'm not as dogmatic on this one as I am on Vote yes for the courthouse. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Hancock, do you have an opinion on this particular amendment? And if you'd like, I could read the text of the amendment before you say that. No, no, I already voted on it, and I voted against it. Um, you know, we're getting very, very mature as a community, and we're getting a little long in the tooth as a community, and we're running out of basically kind of land. And uh, so we're starting to try to have make these uh, Sophie's choices of how we use you know, uh, different land resources that we have. So we want to use the same parcel for a youth fair, the same as, you know, if we fight to do education, which is a good thing. Youth fair is a good thing. They're trying to, there's another one that we're on, put libraries and parks, you know, so we're starting to stack things on top of each other, sports facilities onto, you know, parkland. Um, so there's, uh, we're, in a, we're a community that's going to be, our politics is going to be about um, really just um, making these choices, uh, competing for the last pieces of land, um, nice rock lands that, you know, we ought to preserve, and yet people want a Walmart because they want those uh, those jobs uh, there. So we, as a community, we're going to have, um, we're, we're going to be um, continuing to have these uh, these struggles and these debates. Well, you just said the W word, and we've got four <laughs> minutes left, so we're going to use it up. <laughs> Peter, what's your opinion of the city of Miami's ruling that they lost uh, where they the, the court said that the city of Miami broke their own laws to put a Walmart in the Midtown. What's your opinion on it? Three judges ruled that the, the plaintiffs were correct, certainly, on one of the three major points. And, and unanimously ruled. Unanimously ruled, and they quashed and remanded the, the issue. And I look forward to the city of Miami honoring the ruling from the three judges. Do you think that what? that's really going to happen? <laughs> Long they, silence they, they, here. They, they might need encouragement. <laughs> well, well, I read about that in the paper, and that's not what—that's not the way I understood it. But I'll have to go back and reread it. Well, I'll tell you what—the newspaper did something very unusual. They actually wrote two articles about the same court decision, and they contradict each other. Oh, okay. Pretty unusual, well, right? <laughs> I better but, read both of them so I fully understand it. Well, I'll tell you what, and if you're part of the listening audience, you can check it out on Twitter, at Grant Stern. I'm going to post another copy of the decision so you guys can all read at home. Now, there is another Walmart fight brewing in South Dade County, right next to Metro Zoo. You just mentioned it, Mr. Hancock. You want to tell our audience a little bit about the fight over the Pine Rocklands? Well, you know, Pine Rocklands is a, a beautiful ecological feature of... South Florida, they, they only exist here, and there's some in the Bahamas, in all of the world, and it's uh, something we ought to preserve. We're down to about 2% of it left, and uh, so the University of Miami had some that was given to it by the government, uh, the federal government, used to be part of a, you know, a military 
facility in, in Richmond, um, the government eventually gave it to UM to, to, to care for and be a good trustee of. And then UM flipped it uh, recently um, for cash, and um, it's planned to be a, a bunch of uh, pretty crappy um, uh, apartments and uh, in L.A. Fitness and and uh, Walmart and stuff like that. So next, you know, next to Metro Zoo, there beautiful, beautiful pine rocklands with some endangered uh, species on it. Uh, we need to fight to fight to keep that. We don't need we don't need a Walmart, uh, and especially we don't need a Walmart on precious uh, pine rocklands. Well, that's pretty important for the voters of your district to know that you support preservation and you support conservation of these unique biodiverse areas in South Dade. Um, we've got one more minute. I'd like to get your Twitter or Facebook account or uh, website, Ross, so our yes. listeners can hear you, uh, find you later. All right. Well, I have a couple of websites. Uh, let's start. Let's start with uh, www.rosshancock2014.com, and then there's also uh, a rosshancock2016.com because I have filed uh, to run for re-election in 2016. And uh, I'm running a comp campaign, which will have a budget of $99 total. All right. And uh, so you can find out about that race there. I'm trying to do something, uh, something new and revolutionary there. And for our listeners out there, we've just got a minute left. I just tweeted the 11th Circuit Court's unanimous opinion rejecting Walmart. It's at Grant Stern on Twitter. And that's about all the time we've got on the show tonight. But I want to thank retired Judge David Young and Peter Ehrlich for coming on the program. Thanks, Grant. A pleasure to be on. Hope to do it again. Grant, thank you very much. And I'd love to thank you, Ross, for coming on the program. Thanks, Grant. Thanks, guys. And Toulouse as well. And we'll be back next Monday night with Alf Spellman. This is the Only in Miami show.